Sanctuary. Good morning. Uh, my name is Edrin, senior pastor here, and it is my privilege to have the opportunity to stand with you today in worship. Uh, can we thank God for our worship team, for our band, for how they usher us into worship each week? Thank you for how you all. There's so many times on Wednesday nights when they're rehearsing while I walk into the room, and rather than singing, I hear them praying, praying for you all. You, you may have never met them personally. You may not know them personally, but they're praying for you all, all throughout the week. And so I, I pray that when they stand here on Sunday, you, you know they're not here to entertain you. They are here for your spiritual formation. So can we just thank God again for them, for how they serve us and how they lead us. As, as Joe mentioned a little bit earlier, we are preparing for Open Streets this weekend. Um, Open Streets is the second of two uh, festivals here in the community that we plan to take part in over the course of summer, early fall. And so we are excited about this Saturday having the opportunity to represent ourselves, to help the community, and to help us to remember our commitment to North Minneapolis. For 16 years, Sanctuary has served this community in all kinds of ways, in good times and bad. And we want to recommit ourselves to that work in this season. And so this Saturday, they're going to uh, block off Broadway between Lindell here and all the way down to Penn Avenue. And all sorts of organizations are going to be out on the avenue telling the North Minneapolis story, celebrating what's beautiful and what's, what's creative about the North Side. And Sanctuary is going to be a part of that celebration as well. And so if you have not already signed up, we would love for you to stop at the table in the lobby. There's a table out there with some balloons on it. We'd love for you to sign up for a shift to, uh, to, to work at a table where we'll hand out some literature about our church, where we will have some uh, face painting and bounce houses for kids. We'll also uh, be handing out bottled water as well. We just really want to tell the community, let them know by our presence that we love them and that we're here for them as a church. And so we invite you to join us on Saturday. So let's jump into this word because I hear there's um, some football going on somewhere. Um, I can always tell when, when the Vikings are playing because the prayer requests go up um, and the second service becomes a little bit lighter because people they pray for the Vikings and they go home and, and hope that God heard that prayer. Um, that's just a little Vikings humor, sorry. Last week we kicked off a series called Selfies. It's a study of the book of 2 Corinthians, um, and the subtitle of the series is Seeing Ourselves Through the Cross. Seeing Ourselves Through the Cross. This book of 2 Corinthians looks at Paul's life, the Apostle Paul's life, his ministry, and his teachings to the, sec to the Corinthians that reminded them that because of Christ's work on the cross, followers of Jesus are called to live according to a very different set of values. According to Paul, because of the cross, Jesus' followers would not only endure suffering, but we would embrace suffering. We embrace suffering knowing that God's glory is put on display by our, through our sufferings. Paul was willing to suffer. He was willing to own his troubles and not run away from them because in his weakness, Paul says, he knew that God was strong. So in this book of 2 Corinthians, 
Paul writes a letter to the believers who are gathered in the city of Corinth. He had planted a church there. He had stayed there for a, a year, perhaps a little longer, raising up leaders and developing leaders. And then Paul, as he often did, traveled to another city for the purpose of building the church there and strengthening the believers there. And as the church that he left behind there in Corinth grew, so did the dysfunction and the controversy. And so Paul pens this letter that becomes 2 Corinthians at a vulnerable time in his life and in the life of this church. He had planted the church, he had nurtured the church, but while he was away, the church drifted towards bad doctrine, towards controversy and dysfunction. And then a group of false teachers arrived in Corinth and they began to sow seeds of disunity. They began to teach falsehoods and they called into question Paul's authority. And so through a series of letters and visits, Paul works to guide this young church back into alignment with the gospel and back into right relationship with him. After some time, the majority of the believers there in Corinth have repented. They've made amends for the quarrels and they have made amends for their sinful actions and they have begun to repair their relationship with Paul. They've begun to put all, begun to put all the quarrels behind them. Still, Paul writes this letter, which is deeply personal, more personal than any other letter we have from Paul. And in it, he offers an unusual kind of defense of his ministry. Paul says, my enemies, my opponents call me weak. They look down on me because they say I am a mess. And you know what? I am a mess. It's hard to tear somebody down when they tell you you're right. So Paul says, let's get that out of the way. They say I'm messed up and they're right. But I'm messed up for the cause of Christ. So Paul combats this critique of his ministry in an incredible way. Last week, we kicked off this message by looking at a peculiar praise that Paul offers as a greeting to chapter 1. Paul says to us, against the backdrop of all the questioning of his authority, Paul says that we don't hide from our troubles. In fact, God is with us in our troubles. God comforts us in our troubles. And then God commissions us to go out and comfort others with the same comfort we ourselves have received. Paul reminds us, even if not using this language, that we are called to be wounded healers. We're called to be children of God who are being healed by God and are at the very same time being used as instruments of healing by God in the lives of others. So as we go about this work of being wounded healers, our message today will be an encouragement that this work will look a lot different than perhaps we expect. Calling today's message the look of a leader, the look of a leader. And my prayer is that this message will inform and encourage us today as we grow as a community of wounded healers. Amen. If you have a Bible, can you open it to 2 Corinthians chapter 3? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1, we'll read through verse 6. Here's what the Word of God says. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts. Go ahead and answer that, please. (laughs) I always wanted to do that. (laughs) You yourselves are our letter, 
written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Verse 4, such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. This message, again, is entitled, The Look of a Leader, because at the heart of the critique of Paul, at the heart of the Corinthians' rejection of Paul, was their belief that he simply didn't look like a leader. He didn't didn't wear leadership well. They had been influenced by the teachings of these, these false teachers. Uh, the, the people then began to look down on Paul, and many of them would have described him as simply unimpressive in their eyes. Some of the reason is that Paul carried himself in sort of a lowly way. He would have been looked at as poor because he did not require money of them, but he worked. He earned meager living through manual labor. He carried himself, at least in person, as a meek, timble, humble leader. Paul is believed to have been a somewhat unimpressive speaker. He was educated, so he was not uneducated, but in the course of his teaching, he did not attempt to wow the crowds in the same way that the other teachers did. There's also some evidence that Paul had some sort of physical condition that would have affected how he showed up as a leader and as a teacher. Add to that the fact that there were these false teachers, what Paul later called super apostles, and he was compared to them every single day. These folks were flashy. I call them shiny soup preachers. They, they, they They were incredibly polished on the outside. They had not suffered the same sort of suffering that Paul had. They had not been persecuted in the same way. Their speaking abilities far exceeded Paul's. They had a rhetorical gift that left the people enthralled with them. Talk to me, baby. Whose whose baby is that? Say amen. Thank you. These super apostles were much wealthier than Paul. But here's the crazy part. They were wealthy because they demanded offering from the people. Paul said, I will work, and I won't make you give me your money. But they looked down on Paul because the other leaders made them pay for the message. Paul was looked down upon because he didn't steal from the people, because he chose to have integrity. One example of just how irrational this entire situation was, was that Paul was asked by the Corinthians, by the church that he had started, to produce reference letters that would prove his authority. A few weeks ago, the Mosaic Youth, our youth ministry, held one of their summer gatherings at our home. And so about 40, 45 kids squeezed into our house. We had a meal together, and then we made our way up the street to Bohannon Park for a game of kickball and some other activities before there was a message. And there were two groups of kids. One group was in home, and they were trying to get themselves organized. Another group was out in the field, and they were trying to get organized. And there was one kid who was on the home team, and he was just shouting instructions. He was, like, giving orders, telling people what to do and where to go. And he was saying all these rules about kickball that I had never heard before. And I've been playing kickball my entire life. 
And this kid was just shouting out orders and instructions. And there was another kid out in the, in the outfield who was just standing there looking at him and listening. And after about a few minutes, that kid shouted out, who is you? <laughs> it wasn't good English, but I knew exactly what he was saying. He was saying, uh, my dear friend, who are you and who has given you this authority to speak to us in this manner? The kid never responded. He just stopped talking. And in a strange way, the Corinthians, although they knew Paul, are asking him the very same question. Paul, who is you? You see, Paul had tried to correct their doctrine. He had tried to correct their bad behavior. And rather than listen to him, they decided to begin to question his authority. Paul, who is you? It really makes no sense. Paul, they came to the faith largely because of Paul's work. And they're telling him now, we need recommendation letters from somebody else so that we might listen to you. Are there any mothers in the room? Can you imagine? You carry a child for nine months. You, you, you beat up your body for the sake of nourishing this child and bringing this child into the world. You take care of this child. And then one day you send that child to clean up their room and that child says to you, Mom, I need a few recommendation letters. Somebody needs to tell me it's okay for you to tell me what to do. Paul says to the Corinthians, you are my recommendation letter. The fact that you are now with Christ is the result of my work. You are my recommendation letter. I can imagine a mother saying, the fact that you have breath in your body right now is my recommendation letter. The fact that you have food in your stomach right now is my recommendation letter. These stretch marks I'm carrying on my body are my recommendation letter. The sisters in the room say, preach it, pastor. When you serve someone in the way that Paul has served the Corinthians, it is absurd that they would ask him for reference letters to prove his authority. But the Corinthians had been so misled, they had drifted so far from the truth of what Paul had taught them, they had become so enamored with these shiny suit preachers, so enamored with appearances and superficialities, so enamored with how they looked on the outside, that they began to oppose the very leader that God had used to equip them. Fortunately for us, Paul wasn't easily deterred. Paul began to fight this to correct this simplistic thinking. Paul understood clearly and worked to help the Corinthians to understand a very simple but transformative truth that godly leadership must go beyond a look. You can't simply wear the skinny jeans and the Chelsea boots and the long t-shirt with the strategically placed holes in it and believe that's godly leadership. Godly leadership goes beyond the superficial stuff. It goes beyond the hyper-focus on status. It goes beyond having a good reputation. Paul illustrates for these brothers and sisters there in Corinth that the way of Jesus is different than the way of this world. Paul helps them to see that the world has its certain values and the kingdom has its own set of values, and we must choose between one or the other. Whatever you choose will affect every aspect of your life. 
So Paul helps them to see that in the kingdom there is a different way, another way of viewing the faith, another way of viewing leadership, and another way of seeing themselves in relation to God. So Paul is inviting the Corinthians to see themselves, their leaders, and their world in light of the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul probably wouldn't have used this language. In fact, I know he wouldn't have. But I feel like a part of what Paul was battling against was the halo effect. Have you ever heard of the halo effect? The halo effect is a social science term that says if you are attractive, people automatically give you other positive qualities. They assign other positive qualities to you. And so if you're good looking, people will assume you're also intelligent. If you're good looking, they will also say you are committed. They will assume you're also loyal and dependable simply because you look good to them on the outside. A study at the University of Texas a few years ago said that in the workplace, this is so true that good looking people tend to be paid more. You see, the halo effect is another name for the tendency we all have to believe that if something is beautiful, flashy, or shiny, that makes it good also. It's a real bias that all of us battle with. And whether we know it or not, we are all tempted to play along and look the part. But Paul says, today we can fight against the halo effect. And we can be informed in how we decide what kind of leaders we want to be. And when I talk about leaders, I'm not just talking about myself. I'm not just talking about the staff. I'm not just talking about some professional ministers. I believe all of us are called to be leaders in the kingdom of God. Amen. And so this message today, I hope, will help us to decide what kind of leaders we aspire to be and the kind of leaders we desire to follow. Do we want to be superficial and simply choose leaders based on what they look like and the flair around them? Or do we want to understand godly leadership in a different, different way as Paul is talking about it here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3? I want to lift up two things from this passage and then we're going to go home. First is this. Godly leadership goes beyond status, beyond self-promotion, and strives for life transformation. Godly leadership goes beyond status, beyond self-promotion, and strives for life transformation. As they were being misled, the Corinthians went as far as to ask Paul for that letter, that letter of recommendation. They made him prove his authority. Paul answers them, and in answering them, he offers us some insight into what godly leadership is all about. Paul says to them, you are my letter. Look at what you were when I found you. And then look at what you are today. Your lives, your transformed lives are my commendation letter. Paul says to them that the only proof of true godly leadership is transformation. Paul says to them that true godly leadership goes beyond the superficial and gets into the messy. You see, the difference between Paul and these super apostles is that the super apostles refused to do the hard, messy work of discipleship. And I would dare you to ever find a super apostle who would ever get into the mess. Super apostles never get into the messy because they're too busy trying to stay clean. So as you determine what kind of leader you want to be and how you will live out this call that we have to be godly leaders, I want to ask you to go beyond the superficial. 
I want to invite you to go beyond just the, 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 the work that looks good on social media and do the hard work of life transformation. Because the work of godly leadership goes beyond those things and goes to the work of life transformation. It goes to the deeper work of discipleship. The second thing I want to point out quickly is that godly leadership goes beyond status. It goes beyond self-promotion. And it is sustained by the power of God rather than by our popularity. If you're taking notes today, here's something that I want you to write down. Any confidence that we have should rest in God because any competence that we have comes from God. Any confidence that we have as ministers of the gospel should rest in God because any competence that we have comes from God. Paul comes under question because he didn't pontificate in the way these super apostles and false teachers did. While these teachers were making names for themselves, wowing the crowd, and gathering large amounts of money, Paul was preaching nothing but Christ crucified and Christ resurrected. And it made Paul look basic, it made him look weak, and it made him look foolish. But Paul refused to give in to the pressure to be a status seeker or a super apostle. And even in those spaces and even in those examples where Paul could have been prideful, where he had something to brag about, Paul was always quick to give the glory to God and not hold on to it for himself. Paul's confidence was in God because his sufficiency, he knew, came from God. Despite how they looked down on Paul, Paul spent all of his days deferring the glory to God. Paul did not waste time defending himself. Paul did not depend on his own adequacy. Paul depended on the Lord. He knew the Lord was the source of his strength, and that is the source of our strength as well, brothers and sisters. Last week, I went a little bit Baptist, preached about 45 minutes. I'm going to average that out this week. (laughs) Before I take my seat, I just want to remind us of a good reality. Just, and I hope for some of you this is a reminder, and I know for some of you this will be perhaps something different than you've heard before. The Corinthians, remember at their lowest point, began to ask Paul to produce reference letters to prove his authority. Paul told them, no, you are my letter of reference. I want to just let you know that as you and I go out into the world, as messages of the gospel, and try to share with the world this different way of looking at the world that God gives us, the world's going to ask you the very same question. Who is you? The, the, the world's not knocking down doors to hear some of this stuff that we're talking about. And so you will be asked by your family, by close friends, who is you? And they're going to be quick to remind you of your past in such a way to try to disqualify this message that you carry, this message of hope. When they ask you, who is you? And I'm going to say that as many times as I can today. I don't want you to give in to the temptation to rattle off a list of accomplishments or accolades or name drop. I go to the Sanctuary Covenant Church where <laughs> Reverend Dr. Edrin, I don't even have a doctorate. <laughs> I, I don't, that's not what makes this message you're carrying worthwhile. 
you all carry a letter with you. This week we were in the office trying to look at some graphics and work on some graphics for this message, and I believe we have a letter. All of you have a letter. This is what I believe a letter from God looks like. God has nice handwriting, and he writes in cursive. As you go out into the world trying to carry this message of hope in life, and the world asks you the question, who is you? You don't have to list off who you are. I just want you to tell them that you're approved, that you carry in your body, on your heart, a letter from God that simply says yes. And that yes is powerful and transformative. That yes says that God knows you, that God has called you, that God knows your faults and your, your, your frailties, but yet has called you to carry this life-giving message. That yes says that you are approved by God, that you carry within you the kingdom of God that brings light to dark places and life to things that are dead. God is sending you out, brothers and sisters, with a letter that simply says yes. And as you say yes to this hope, that God is giving you, there's another yes that you carry with you. It is that you are called to also give that yes away. And so God gives you hope and peace. You give that yes of hope and peace to the world. God is giving you a second chance, forgiveness, and grace. You give that yes to a second chance, forgiveness, and grace to somebody else. God has given you the gift of eternal life. It's not just for you. It's so that you might pass it on to somebody else. And so as you go through your week this week, I want you to be reminded that God has spoken a word over you, and that word is simply yes. 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 When I was a kid growing up in the low country of South Carolina, there was a song we sang in church that said, I'll say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. I'll say yes. Lord, yes, I will trust you and obey. When your spirit speaks to me, with my whole heart I'll agree. And my answer will be yes, Lord, yes. That sounds good, Art. See? <laughs> I was like, man, that sounds good. We should do that more often. Brothers and sisters, my prayer is that you will say yes. Not yes for me, yes for yourself. Say yes to what God is calling you to. But here's the final reminder, and I promise we're going home. In order to say yes to all those things, we're going to also have to say no to some things. And this 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says that a part of what we're saying no to is being superficial. And being status seekers and being those who carry around oversized egos that we are always the most important person in a room. It's hard for God to sit on the throne and for us to sit on the same throne. So we will never worship God in a way that we should as long as we see ourselves on par with God. And so as you're saying yes to God's will and God's way, say no to superficialities, those things that take away from what God wants to do in our lives. Father, thank you so much that you know us, that you call us, that you have saved us, 
Thank you, Lord, that we are not in competition with the world, that we don't have to fall into the traps of trying to outshine the world. In fact, God, I believe Paul's example is that you've called us to be willing to look foolish, to carry a message that seems way too simplistic. Yet, God, when we trust you, you will use the foolish to confound the wise. You will bless in ways that make no sense apart from you. So, God, I pray today that these brothers and sisters, as they go into the world this week, that they would know they carry with them a resounding yes, that you have approved them, that you have blessed them, you have called them, and now you're sending them out. Father, we love you. We thank you that you first loved us. So be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen.